Well, it certainly is a privilege to be here, and uh, we certainly did not expect to be here this soon. Uh, we were planning on coming up uh, maybe in a few uh, weeks to allow Brad and Natalie to get settled in, but uh, we got a call from uh, Matt Shively who asked uh, if I would be willing to come and preach to my son, and, and yes, uh, uh, you, you, don't, you never turn down an opportunity to preach to your children. Uh, and um, so, but no, it was more than that. We wanted an opportunity to meet you folks and see the ministry here. And uh, again, what a opportunity and a, and a privilege and a wonderful thing it is to uh, have your son in in the ministry. And uh, he is he is a third generation uh, preacher, and we're we're very uh, pleased and uh, we thank the Lord for that. That's nothing that we did. That's the Lord's calling, and uh, we're we're so thankful. Uh, that uh, he is part of that a, a very unique uh, group of, of individuals. Um, now I know I think he said that um, you know he's been long-winded in maybe these last few weeks, and he blamed that on me. Um, but one of the things that he probably didn't tell you is that long-windedness always skips a generation. Okay, <laughs> so if he's long-winded, that's his grandfather's fault, not mine. So, uh, but we'll do what we can here this morning, and, and there's there's a lot that I would like to say, as you can imagine. There's a lot on my heart, and uh, I, I've been given the challenge to uh, challenge you as a congregation uh, and Brad as well. That's a that's a tough task, um, and uh, so we'll try to move things along as as quickly as we can. the The passage that was read this morning is kind of the foundational passage in Second Timothy four or excuse me, 1 Timothy 4, but I'm going to use a lot of different references this morning, and you may not have time to turn to them all, but I would suggest that maybe you jot them down and jot down the various points uh, here in this message this morning and go back and, and look at those references uh, perhaps even sometime today. And again, we'll, we'll try to move things along. Um, I know that um, you know the, we we do not want to the the chicken in the fellowship hall to feel abandoned for too long, and so uh, again we will try to get things done here. But if you jot these things down, I always tell my congregation I've told them for years that if you write notes, uh, it may seem that the uh, it makes the sermon seem shorter. Not that it is, but it may seem that way. All right. Uh, so if you jot these things down. And we'll get to those in a moment. But I want to speak to you this morning on the obligations of pastor and congregation to each other. The obligations of pastor and congregation to each other. God has purposed that our lives are, uh, they always involve relationships. The divinely created institutions of marriage, government, and church all involve uh, personal relationships with one another. And the fact that all individuals are sinners presents a challenge to each one of these relationships. And the church is certainly not immune to those challenges. In fact, besides marriage, the greatest challenge to carry out the one another commands in Scripture is to the church. And so not only is there the challenge of getting along with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ... But an additional responsibility is the relationship between the divinely appointed servants and those for whom the servant is called to minister. The history of the church records many wonderful uh, accounts of pastors and congregations who lovingly carried out the commission for the church. Uh, 
But the harsh reality, however, is that the record of the church is also fraught with examples of both pastors and congregations who either did not know or they disregard the scriptural obligations that they have to one another. As you enter into a new era as a church body, I want to again examine these obligations. First of all, let's examine this. What the congregation have a right to expect of their pastor. Alright, there's, there's our first section. What the congregation have the right to expect of their pastor. Number one, the church has the right to expect that its pastor will preach the word of God. To preach the word of God. Listen folks, we need to understand, especially in this day and age in which we live, a pastor is not called to entertain. That's not why we're here. We're not called to be entertained. The pastor is here to preach the word of God. The pastor also is not to simply to be a motivational speaker. He is not a uh, one who is uh, designed to just um, motivate everybody in, in, the, in the ways of life. That, that comes naturally, by the way, by preaching the word. But he's not just supposed to be a motivational speaker who, who wears a suit. He is to preach the word of God. And the congregation has the right that he will stick to that command. You know, Jesus reminded Peter of his ministry obligation in John 21, verse 17. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? Of course, we know our Lord had a point in doing that. But then he goes on to say, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And then Jesus says these three words, feed my sheep. There's the ministry obligation. Feed my sheep. And if a pastor is not doing that, he is not doing what God has called him to do. He's to, he is to feed his sheep. You know, Paul reminds his son in the faith, Timothy, of that main task. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine. Here's the second thing. The church has a right to expect its pastor to have a shepherd's heart. He is to have a shepherd's heart. The word pastor, of course, means shepherd. And it's taken from the sheepfold with all the close contacts that the shepherd has with his flock. Again, the Apostle Paul uses that metaphor in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. He says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. He was writing to the elders in that passage. And he says, over the, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. It's interesting that Peter picks up on that same idea when he says in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3, he says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords. He is to have a shepherd's flock. One said that to be a good pastor, the man of God must have a heart of compassion, and an intense desire to minister to needy humanity. In this respect, he ought to be like the good shepherd whom he represents. So the shepherd's heart, he has to have it. 
And sometimes the fact is, now don't get offended with me this morning, okay? I love you in the Lord. But sometimes sheep are smelly and they bite. But you know what? You're to have the shepherd's heart anyway. You're to have the shepherd's heart anyway. And that's hard to do sometimes. But we are called to do that. Number three, the church has a right to expect that the minister shall be free from reproach in his personal life and habits. A favorite word of Paul in his, pers- in his pastoral epistles is the word godliness. In fact, it appears ten times in the three letters. And in one short exhortation, the apostle says to Timothy, Exercise thyself unto godliness. That word exercise, of course, inherent in that word is work, exercise. And a lot of you in here know that, that exercise, the physical exercise, the older you get, the less you want to do it, right? The spirit isn't willing and the flesh is certainly weak, okay? And uh, that happens the older we get. But now when it comes to spiritual things, we should always have a desire to work in that sense at the spiritual things which God has called us to do. We are to be active in the service of God. We're not just supposed to be passive and we're not supposed to just come sit, soak and sour and say, bless me. We're to be active in the service. Well, so is the minister. He has to exercise himself unto godliness. And that takes effort. It takes work. Well, the pastor, again, is to, to set an example for godly living. But it is imperative that the church understands a couple of things. First of all, that no pastor has, quote unquote, arrived spiritually. He has a, he, no pastor has arrived spiritually. In other words, the pastor, like any other individual, needs time and encouragement to grow in his own spiritual walk. One of the things that I've seen over the, these over 30 years in the ministry now is that sometimes, again, they, they put pastors so high on the pedestal that there's no way he can stay there. The expectations are so great that no human can accomplish those things. Listen, I, as well as your, your pastor here, we have spiritual struggles and battles and all those things that we go through as well. We have those things that we're dealing with in our own minds and hearts. Yes, he's been called to lead, but he's also, he is a servant of God who has, and he's going to have spiritual battles. You need to be in prayer for him, by the way. Amen, Pastor Gray. Okay. All right. Thank you. And listen, I want to say this. You need to make sure that you're, you're, you are on your knees. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But listen, no preacher has arrived spiritually. He's not at the, the peak of, of, of spirituality to the point where he has no spiritual struggles at all. He does, and he will. He's not going to have all of the answers. And that's why I've told my congregation over the years, listen... You may come to me and I may not have the exact right answer for everything, but I can do something with you. I can pray with you. And I know he will be willing as well. No pastor, secondly, is here's a term that I have used for years. No pastor is omnicompetent. Okay? Which means that he knows everything. Now, I as his father know that to be true. Okay? All right? But no pastor is omnicompetent in every area. 
There are those that think they do. No pastor has, the, again, the, the, an answer to solve problems immediately. Again, in the, in the modern era, there have been multiple extras that have been assigned to the pastor that are nowhere found in Scripture. But the church has somehow added it to his job description. Listen, folks, a pastor does not possess a spiritual magic wand where he can wave it. And you know what? All of your problems, all of the church's problems, all of the things that you struggle with are going to be automatically gone. Now, we would love to have that, but that's not the way God has worked. He hasn't gifted us in that way. We don't have that. Don't expect it. All right? Don't expect that. But he is to be free from reproach. He is to be godly. Here's a fourth thing. The pastor has the, excuse me, the church has the right to expect that its pastor will keep his own spirit under control. 1 Timothy 3.2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded and self-controlled. The pastor has emotions and feelings, and of course he needs freedom to express those feelings like anybody else. However, a minister who loses his temper and speaks in rage will lose his influence. When One of the first uh, tests for me uh, in this regard was when I first got into the ministry. It was just a few weeks. And we had a fellowship with our, our church. And uh, we went to uh, a person's house that was in our congregation that had a pool. And there was a mischievous young teenager there. And I knew in the back of my mind I could sense that he was going to do something that I wished he wouldn't. And you can guess it, he threw me in the pool, clothes and all. And as soon as I hit that water, I knew that I, I, when I came up out of the water, I was going to have to react, or I would react in one of two ways. And it could literally determine the course of my ministry. If I came up out of the water and reacted angrily with all of the church members sitting around the pool watching this happen, I think that would have affected my ministry adversely for the rest of my time there. And I knew that in an instant. But when I came up out of the water, I just laughed and I continued swimming with my clothes on. It wasn't a very fun drive on the way home because they live some distance away, but that was okay. But I think, you know what, that... Well, that was a, a determining factor very early on in my ministry. And I think that was the Lord in that situation. So how is keeping the control maintained? Well, the, the, the Puritan writer Richard Baxter, here's what he said. And, and again, he's writing specifically to pastors here. But you as a congregation need to listen carefully. He said, let it be your daily serious business to study your own heart, to subdue corruptions, and to live dependent on God. If not, then all your work that you constantly attend to will go amiss, and you will starve your hearers. If you only have an artificial fervency, then you cannot expect attendant blessings. Above all, be much in secret prayer and meditation. That is very, very good for the pastor. 
That is something that your pastor needs to keep in mind as he ministers. Here's a fifth thing. The church has a right to expect that the minister will be a student of the word. Again, one commentator said the preacher cannot neglect his study and expect to keep fresh and interesting. The quickest way for a minister to fossilize is to neglect studying. This is a matter of life and death to his usefulness. Paul urged Timothy, and you know the verse, study to show thyself approved unto God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Preaching the word with precision takes time and it takes effort. So expect that. And then for the congregation, lastly, the church has the right to expect the pastor to be filled with the Spirit of God. One of the things that has come to, to my mind more and more as the years go on is that the only way a pastor can accomplish anything in the ministry is through the power of the Holy Spirit of God upon his life on a daily basis. And the congregation can ex- should expect that and should be praying that way as well. Let's go to the second part here. What the pastor has a right to expect of his congregation. The pastoral relationship, again, is a two-sided affair, as one said. If the work of the church is to prosper, we need to recognize this. And no pastor can do his best without the hearty cooperation of its members. Neither can a church perform its best ministry without the cooperation of its pastor. It works both ways. Complete harmony between pastor and congregation is essential if the work is to prosper. So what are the the things that the pastor has a right to expect of you? You have those rights, and, and again, I use that word very carefully, but... What can you? What should he expect from you? The pastor has a right to expect growth in Christian experience on the part of his congregation. Paul mentions something very interesting. He says he was confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, one of the things you need to realize is that Pastor Gray cannot make you spiritual. No pastor has that ability. So what is he here for? (laughs) I've always viewed the pastorate this way. The The pastor is, again, a shepherd, yes, but he's also an information giver. He is there to give you the information, the direction that God has laid on his heart so that you can be successful spiritually and walk the way you need to walk in the spiritual life before you. And he's there to to help guide in that way. But listen, friend, no one, no pastor can ever make you what you ought to be before God. You have a personal responsibility in that regard. You take what is given and you take it into your mind and and your heart and you live that out through your life. That's what you should be doing every Sunday when you come in and the word of God is broken before you and it is lifted up is what is that you take those things 
And you say, how can I apply this to life, my life? What are, what are my needs? How can I better be a, a servant, a vessel fit for God's use? And I think if you are in the right relationship with God, not only is he going to guide you and lead you, he, he will speak to you. And he will tell you those things. Again, growth is the normal experience for the Christian, even as it is for the newborn infant. I'm amazed at how our little one has grown in the two weeks since we saw him last. Okay, what a hey, what a cute little boy he is. And I say that as a biased grandfather. Okay, I know that. But what a wonderful thing. We expect. And every parent in here, every grandparent, and maybe we have some great grandparents in here, you have expected over the years certain stages of growth, have you not? And it should be the same way in the congregation. Listen again, the worst thing that a congregation can do is say, well, we, we've done it this way for uh, 150 years and we're going to keep on doing it the same way. I'm coming in, I'm plopping myself down, and I'm daring the pastor to bless me. Things need to be different. All right? That's not his responsibility. Growth. It says in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. One writer in a book that I know Brad and I have read and we've talked about and discussed is called The Imperfect Pastor. And I know what you're thinking. You guys should read that more often. Well, (laughs) we try, okay? But the author, Zach Eswine, says, Everything pastors hope will take place in a person's life with God remains outside the pastor's own power. That sums it up. Everything the pastor's hope will take place in a person's life remains outside his power. He cannot make you spiritual. Here's the second thing. The pastor has a right to expect that the critical spirit will be kept in abeyance. The pastor has a right to expect that the critical spirit will be kept in abeyance. Ephesians 4, verses 29 through 32, we love to teach this to children, but oftentimes adults have a hard time practicing it. You remember, the, you remember teaching your kids this? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Man, we love that, don't we? But that which is to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to, unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you, along with all malice. And then that last verse, again, here's another verse we love to teach our children, but sometimes adults in churches forget it. And what does it say? And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, my friends, look. That doesn't just apply to um, you as brothers and sisters in Christ. The pastor and his wife are included in that. All of us together in the body of Christ. While pastors, again, are, are not above constructive criticism, personal, petty, personal and petty criticism is the 
number one reason that pastors leave the ministry, bar none. Did you realize that within within one denomination, there are 1,500 pastors leaving the ministry per month? And you want to know one of the biggest reasons why? It is this right here. It is churches that will either ignore or deny because their own personal preferences are more important. The fact that, hey, we're to be tender hearted and forgiving one another and they leave the pastor completely out. Listen, again, I, I, I know of where I speak because I was a PK too. My dad pastored for 50 years. I've seen it. I've experienced it all my life. I've seen it happen. Good churches, good pastors, and the relationship is ruined. And by the way, all it takes is how many? One. That's all it takes. The devil loves that. Can I just say to you, can I plead with you as a body of Christ, don't allow that to happen here. Don't let people bend your ear. Listen, you do not have an obligation to listen to gossip. And sometimes gossip can come in the form of two things. Seeking advice or a prayer request. Be careful. Be very careful. Because that's all it takes. As one pastor stated, pastors often die the death of a thousand cuts. It's that nagging, persistent criticism of everything. And again, you're saying, well, pastor, you're kind of coming down hard on us. Well, listen, I know how we all are. I don't know you, but I do know human nature. And I know that we can go that route if we're not careful. And I will again plead and beg with you from the, from the word of God not to allow this to happen in this church at Stonington Baptist Church. Number three, the pastor has a right to expect discernment on the part of his congregation in the things that relate to sound doctrine. We heard about that in Sunday school this morning. Paul prayed in Philippians 1.10 that the church might approve all things that are excellent or to be able to distinguish the things that differ. Listen, can I just say this? Be very careful about what you uh, search or research on the internet as far as religious doctrine. Did you know that you can find anything? That's why you need to pray to the Holy Spirit of God. Give me spiritual discernment. Give me a discernment to know truth from error. And your pastor, again, we go back to that. If he is preaching the word, he is helping you along the way to develop skills in order to be able to do that. That's important. Discernment. This means that every member should be a good student of the Bible. And that means that you will be able to accurately interpret Scripture. And then in turn, you will be able to properly defend the Scripture. Two elements that I think is in dire need in the church today. Proper interpretation so that we can defend it. But you can't do that if you're not in the Word. Can I just say this? 
Listen, you cannot expect, young people, listen to me. You cannot expect an effective life spiritually if you are never in the Word. Are you in it on a daily basis? You need to be. You need to be. Here's the fifth thing. The pastor has a right to expect. Or excuse me, a fourth thing. The pastor has a right to expect genuineness and sincerity in the life of his members. The genuine article. Sincere. Again, Philippians 1.10, that same verse. In the last part of that verse, he says that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Sincere. It is the opposite of hypocrisy, deceitfulness, and dishonesty. And therefore, the Christian is expected to be separate from the world. And I know as time goes on, that gets a little more difficult. <laughs> it gets harder, it seems, doesn't it? But the, but the Scripture, the, the Bible is still... Uh, true, the scripture's still there. It hasn't been eradicated. And it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And that's becoming harder for the church. But we have to do it. We have to make sure that we are separate from those things. The believer is to be a radiant example of the faith in which he claims he has. Not just a, a mere professor of the fact that he's a Christian. You know, there was an, there's an author or there's a book in your Bible that was authored by James, that five little chapter book in your New Testament that I know is a favorite of many. And in essence, the theme of James is this. If you claim to be a Christian, then live like it. There's the theme of James. He says, if you have that kind of faith, make sure it's alive and it's a living faith, not a dead one. And I think that as a pastor ministers over the years, he has a right to expect that his congregation is going to take those things and they're going to be sincere and genuine, not just giving it lip service. Listen, it's very easy after you're in church for a long time to understand the language and the lingo of the church so that you can get along. But that's not what God wants. And by the way, the pastor may never see it and others may not, but Jesus, God, sees the heart. He sees the heart. He knows whether you are genuine or not. Here's the fifth thing. The pastor has a right to expect that his members will make, a pra- will make practical application of the gospel in their daily lives. We've mentioned this, but again, Paul says in the 11th verse of Philippians 1, that the, the ideal is that the church be filled with the fruits of, what's the word there? Righteousness. There it is. Righteousness. We cannot claim that we don't know how we're supposed to act and what we're supposed to do. He said the the scripture plainly gives us the things that we're supposed to include in our life. We're to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. We have over in another book, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And those nine elements that make up that fruit of the Spirit. We know those things. But how are we applying it to our lives? And the question becomes, 
Are we living it? Are we living it out through our lives on a daily basis? The principal thing for which a pastor labors is this. He rejoices every time he sees the Christian graces exemplified in his members. There's nothing, there is nothing more that warms the heart and rejoices the soul of a pastor more than to see the spiritual progress, the daily living of the believer out through his life. In fact, I think sometimes it's actually a challenge to him, to pastors, to us spiritually, when we see the kind of depth to which you go in your spiritual and uh, biblical studies. It's a challenge to us. But the pastor has the right to see that you're making application of the gospel in your daily life. And then lastly... We, we, the pastor has a right to expect that his congregation is praying for him on a daily basis. The, the, he has a right to expect that his congregation is praying for him on a daily basis. There's a little verse as Paul closes out his letters to, or letter to the church at Thessalonica in the first one. And he comes to the end there and he simply says these four words. Brethren, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. I, again, I, I had the privilege, and, and Brad has the privilege of being in, in a family and the heritage of having uh, pastors in, in our home. And one of the things that, that I have had the privilege of over the years is knowing when my mother was living, that every day she was praying with for me. And there was a time before she passed away a few years ago, but I would go on Sunday mornings, and when I went into my office, I would see the, the light on my phone blinking that I had a voicemail, and every Sunday I knew who it was from. And it was from my mother, who would give me a little voicemail every Sunday morning saying, I just want to let you know, son, I'm praying for you. I miss that. But I do know this, I have a wife who prays for me constantly. And I have others who tell me they pray for me on a daily basis. You know what, my friends? That means everything. That means everything. There's not a whole lot that pastors need other than the fact that they know that their congregation loves them, and prays for them. And I think again as you enter into this new era. Why not make it a challenge to say that I am going to make sure that I pray for my pastor. And by the way his wife. She's included. I'm going to do that on a daily basis. That means a lot. That means a lot. So, as I close here this morning, I'll just sum it up this way. To the congregation of this church, I want to give you this charge. Be faithful to God's word. Be faithful to his house. Be active in service. Be supportive. Love one another. And be consistently on your knees before your, uh, for your pastor. 
To Brad, I, I want to give you these words that my father, your grandfather, he wrote in my Bible many years ago. And I pass it on to you. And he wrote this in the flyleaf of one of my Bibles. He said, to my son, may this infallible word always be your guide in life for faith and practice. Love it. Reverence it. Lift it up before men. Live it. <clears throat> Never be ashamed of the gospel. Preach it. No greater joy could be brought to my heart than for my son to give his life in service for the Lord. With love, Dad, Romans 8.31. Let us pray.